Amen. We're starting a series called Breaking the Sin Cycle. You could tell we're not (laughs) necessarily seeker friendly when we just put sin right in the sermon series. And I actually struggled with that. I'm like, is that going to be attractive to people? Are they going to want to come to church and hear about sin? Um, (laughs) I'm serious. It went through my head. I'm just confessions of a pastor right now. I'm just letting you know it did go through my head. And I'm like, no, this is this is something that we all need to know because um, sin, like I've taught my kids, sin separates us from the presence of God. I remember when I was a kid's pastor and teaching little ones, like it separates us from the presence of God. And so we're going to talk in this month, and I'm excited, five weeks this month about the book of Judges, because there's a pattern or a cycle in the book of Judges um, that I see happening still um, and Christian people. And we want to break that cycle, that sin cycle, that sin pattern that's unhealthy and unholy and it needs to be broken. And so we're going to talk about that today. I'm kind of going to give an overview and then each week we're going to hit a different judge. But today we're going to give an overview of the book of Judges. <clears throat> the, I'm going to go towards the end of the book in Judges 21, 25, because I feel if one verse in the entire book of Judges sums up the book of Judges, it's this one verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And I'm going to give you a little bit of context, okay? So the book of Judges comes after the book of Joshua. So you guys know that Moses delivered the people uh, that were in bondage and slavery in Egypt, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And his right-hand guy, his um, armor bearer, was Joshua. Now, Moses was not able to enter into the promised land. For 40 years, they actually waited because of sin in the community. The people who were actually delivered out of Egypt actually died in the desert um, and did not was not able to enter in. Most of them were not able to enter in to the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. And Joshua was then the next leader after Moses. And so Joshua um, was the man who was anointed by God to help the people of Israel. Kind of, I like to say he was like a first, like, youth pastor. Like, so he was the elder at the time. And all these young guys and and gals and families are getting ready to take the promised land. And (laughs) he had his friend Caleb that was with them too. And so they took the promised land. But... Not shortly after they were there, they did not do all that God asked them to do. They didn't defeat all the enemies. They compromised. They um, didn't listen to all the warning that Moses gave them in the book of Deuteronomy and that Joshua repeated again. They didn't listen to all the warnings of the dangers of the worldly religion system that was already in that land. And so because they didn't listen to all the warnings, what happened was... uh, they allowed bondage back in their life. And there's a verse here that I believe kind of helps us understand um, Judges 21, uh, 25. And I'm going to give you that verse in a minute. But I want to just kind of break down the pattern that we have. I have a slide there if you want to show it. that It has a pattern. It starts... Uh, see, we, this is the pattern in the book of Joshua. And it's, it's still a pattern that happens today. It's People get comfortable, just like the people that came with Joshua. They, they walked in their promise. They get their promise. And once you get comfortable, you start sinning again. And when sin, you allow sin or compromise into your life, 
suffering comes from that sin, right? Once suffering comes, what the pattern was is then they were like, oh, man, this, is, this isn't what I wanted. This wasn't the promise that I thought. Then they began to have sorrow. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, right? And so they start to repent, and then there was salvation. And then after they walked in that salvation, they got comfortable again. They allowed compromise back in their life. After they start worshiping God, they got comfortable, and then sin came again. Sin came again. Oh, okay. And then after that, when the sin came in, they allowed sin back into their camp. They began to suffer because there's consequences to sin and that suffering. And so God would use the enemy nations to oppress the uh, people of Israel in the land that was their promise. They got their promise, and then it, it was like they didn't hold on to their promise. And suffering happened again. They would they would feel the sorrow, cry out to God. God would raise up another judge, another leader that would bring about salvation. Then they had salvation. They would have, the Bible would say, with underneath that judge, they would have peace for 40 years. Then they got comfortable. And isn't it funny? A lot of times it was like 20 or 40 years, which is like a generation. Interesting, right? Um, I, I Back in the um, late 90s, mid, actually all the way through the 90s, there was like a, a revival movement that happened, especially with the Assembly of God churches. We have the Brownsville re- revival that happened in Florida. And then up north, there was the Toronto revival, and there was really, we didn't realize it at the time. We were young adults at the time, and we didn't realize that we were in a season of a revival, and we didn't even realize that because we just thought that's just how it was because that's when um, we got saved. And so uh, what we realized is, is that, <laughs> that that wasn't like that for a while. What I've noticed is sometimes um, you hear, like I hear my mom talk about, like in her generation when God really moved, like the Jesus movement in the 70s, right? And there was the charismatic awakening in the 80s, and then there was the revival in the 90s, and then the the early 2000s, there was the Bethel and the IHOP prayer movement that was coming. And God wants to awaken each generation. But what happens is sometimes we get to that place after God brings his salvation and he brings an awakening, he brings revival, that we begin to become lukewarm, complacent, get too comfortable, and then we allow areas of compromise in our life. And then sin comes in, and then suffering again, and then sorrow again, and then going back. And it's this cycle. And there's I believe the Lord wants to reveal to us today how we can break that cycle so that each generation could build upon one another. Because if we even look at the generations that are still alive in America today, there's few builders left. My grandparents are still alive in their, in their mid uh getting up to late 90s, and that generation was called, like, the greatest generation that ever lived, and there was a movement. Some of them built some of the best, beautiful churches, and then after, and I believe it was 64% of them, I might be getting that number just a little off, okay, was Bible-based believers, and then the boomers came after them. That's a lot of the elders that are in this place today would be considered boomers. They're in their 60s and 70s now, and maybe maybe some late 50s, Mid-50s, okay? And that generation is, I believe, 36, 32, 32 or 36, I don't know, somewhere around there, Bible-based believers. And then the generation after them, Josh and I and some of the rest of you guys who are, like, um, 40s now and are called Generation X. We're actually one of the smallest generations. It was the first generation that abortion was legal. Um, so I believe that has to do with that. Um, and we're a very small generation, but our small generation is 16% Bible-based believers. 
the millennials, I love millennials, by the way. They were my first youth group. Come on. Oh, wait, you're not a millennial. You're younger than millennial. Uh, wait, wait. Where's, where's Becca? Becca. Okay. Ariel, Chris, the millennials. I do love millennials. Um, when we were youth pastors, it was the millennials. We were only a, a few years old, you know, older because we're like the end of the Xers. Some call us ex-millennials, whatever. Um, but <laughs> the millennials are now what they're saying, 4%. Bible-based believers, and I'm not even sure what they're saying, the Z generation, my, ten, my teenagers and young adults, because you're the eldest of the G, or Z, G, Lord have mercy, and that is what, you're what, 23, 23, right, right, um, they're the eldest of that generation, so when Jeremy preaches to our youth ministry, I say, listen to your, your elder, <laughs> oh, my dad's humor's coming out, God help me, <laughs> So this is the thing, though. Well, I, would, I believe we need to reverse the curse. We need to build. I, what should happen is we're training our kids. So they, where they start should be, our, our ceiling should be their floor. And the revival we've experienced should seem like nothing to them because they experience that as, as kids. But see, the enemy wants to bring in comfort. I'm telling you, one of the greatest threats to the American church is being too comfortable. Why is it that, and I just heard this statistic, that the, faith, the Christian faith is growing more now. We have more Christians now in Africa and Asia than we do in America. Because persecution breeds revival fire. And we have become comfortable. And that's what happened to the people of Israel. They got the promise. They walked into the land. They had the big giant grapes. And they became comfortable. They forgot what it takes to fight. And the same thing that it took for them to get the promise, it, it takes for them to keep the promise. Just like when we come into a marriage, what we do to, to fall in love is what we need to do to keep that fire going. Otherwise, you see people divorcing after 20, 30, 40 years. The cycle has to be broken, friends. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And this is the thing that I think many Christians confuse cycles as seasons. Seasons change with time. Cycles change when you do. So I believe one of the reasons the Israelites fell into such a cycle of sin is, they, is this verse right here. We started at the end of the book of Judges. Now we're going back to the beginning. Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. They all passed away. They died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So the whole generation, Joshua's generation and the other people that lived with him and his generation, they died. And there was another generation. So most scholars believe that it was either their children or their grandchildren that rose up underneath them that did not know God or what he did for his people. They didn't even know that they were in slavery for 400 years, that God split the Red Sea, that God split the Jordan River, that God did miracle after miracle. They did not know God or anything about him. Joshua's generation died and their children and grandchildren did not know God and what he had done for them. Our faith, friends, is only one generation away from extinction. Ever, ever. Only one generation away from extinction. So today, I feel like the Lord wanted me to share with you another cycle that will help us 
not see Judges 2.10 in our day. So I want to call today's message how to prevent the extinction of our faith. And I have another cycle if you want to pull that up. And I'm going to break down each one of these. But this is how we prevent our faith from, from being an ex, extinction of our faith. We have, to, we have to realize that we're in, we're in danger. We live in perilous times. We live in dangerous times. And we can't sit back as Christians and just want to be comfortable and just, you guys have heard me say it before, slide down rainbows, skip through lily pads, and just be like the, the My Little Ponies, just everything's all good and happy all the time. No, we have to realize that there's, there's danger. We live in dangerous times, and there's things that threaten our faith. And we can't just sit by and be too comfortable. And from that, we have to evangelize. We have to share our faith with other people, with our children, with our children's children, with our family, with our community, with our job, our workplaces. We have to evangelize. And, and I, I told a, a couple months ago that evangelism and discipleship, they go together. Okay, even the Great Commission, I'm going to get into that in a minute. It, it mentions it together. And from evangelism, I almost wanted to add another one today. From evangelism, people have to encounter. I didn't write that up there, but they have to encounter God. It can't, it can't be like how I was when I was a young adult in Bible school, and I basically, <laughs> in my zeal and in my ignorance, I sat here with a teenage girl. I was only probably 20 myself, um, and sat there with her until she said the prayer with me. I was like, you got to say this prayer before you go because you could be burning in hell today. I mean, I was a little over the top with it. Her mom called my school, and I got in trouble. And I was like, oh, Lord, you know what I mean? But I was like, serious. I'm like, no, you got to say this prayer today. Like, she was so close, and I saw it. But, see, that's not, that's not evangelism. It's not just saying a prayer. Because if your heart's not into the prayer, that prayer doesn't mean anything. It's not just a magic ticket to heaven, right? But it's evangelizing, showing people that they're and teaching people the, the truth of the Lord and that they would encounter God for themselves. I want my children to encounter God in every season of their life. They've encountered God as, as kids, Jubilee, seven years old, encountering the baptism of the Holy Spirit and getting baptized. Faith was, what, 10 at that time? Um, and, and the rest of the kids, too. They've encountered God as kids. I want to see them encounter God in a strong, and they have had moments as teenagers and then young adult years, like every decade at least we need to encounter God like I need we there's a song that used to come out in the um in the late 90s that I need you more more than yesterday I need you more right and that's that's a song that's still on my heart sometimes I wake up singing that song it's still on my heart because I need you more than I did when I was 20 and I was completely and totally wrecked for God I need you more now because I'm raising teenagers I need you more right like every season and so we need to evangelize for the purpose that they would encounter God and then once they encounter God then we need to empower them right and once we empower them then we need to enlist them Faith needs to get up here and preach sometime, right? That girl's got the anointing. We need to enlist them. You don't have to wait till you're 35 years old before you give a word. Like, we need to enlist them into God's army so they would see that we're always in, just one generation away from extinction. We're in danger. And they can preach to their generation because faith can reach 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds better than I can. Right? Jubilee can reach middle school kids Better than I can. They think I'm old now, whatever. 
<laughs> like, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But they can reach them more. And so this is the new cycle that I want to see happen. Because if, if this happens, then our ceiling will be their floor. So let's break it down. In danger is a verb that means put someone or something at risk in danger. One of the most dangerous things that we can do as a Christians is get too comfortable, too comfortable, too comfortable, too comfortable. Everything has to be cozy. We got we to gotta live our cozy lives and we don't realize, man, do you know America, I know you guys don't like to hear this and this is not a political statement, it's just fact. We are a post-Christian nation now. And just think. And just a generation, it, it's going to be even more so unless we see revival. That doesn't mean there's not a remnant. There is a remnant. There are people who love God. But, friends, it is harder for me to be on fire for God than my friends who live in Asia to be on fire for God. Because if they're, they're being a Christian, it's risking their own life. We've got to realize the danger that we live in. We need men and women of God who won't be afraid to speak out against the dangers of our culture that are threatening our faith in love to speak the truth. We need people of God that would use their prophetic, prophetic voice to speak, speak against evil that is endangering our faith. Instead, too many people in the Christian church are sleeping. Sleeping, not even realizing the dangers like that we live in. See, the, the people that the generation after Joshua, they, they, they did not even realize because they didn't know God nor the things that God did for them. They didn't even realize the danger that they were in. Somebody forgot to tell them. Somebody forgot to pass the torch and say, man, this is for you too. This, this faith is for your children and your children's children. Somebody forgot to warn them. Listen, God warned us to be careful of the idols and the idolatry and the Baal worship in this place. There's still danger. Yes, you have the promise, but don't get comfortable. In some ways, I am glad my parents did not come back to the Lord until I was 16 years old because I saw the things that were out there. They didn't even know half the stuff I did. And they knew some of it because my mom was like a detective. She, had, she was Facebook before there was Facebook. She knew everything, but not everything. <laughs> and they came, back to, they, came, they, they came back to the Lord when I was 16, and so I experienced a lot of stuff out there in the world that we've tried to protect our kids from. But what happens is when, our, when your kids grow up in revival, when they grow up hearing people speak in tongues as they were babies, they were seven years old, receiving the gift, getting dreams, visions, seeing demons, when they grow up like that, they can't become complacent. And what happened is, is, is the generation that came after, jo they didn't do the hard work. It was Joshua that went in there and was slaying those giants. It was, it was Caleb who was 80 years old, like my Uncle Mark, still stacking chairs like what? I mean, I'm telling you, that's what you guys remind me of. You're that generation that says, I'm not going to miss the anointing. I know you don't like being put out there, but sorry. It's, it is an inspiration to other people. Because, but this is the thing, friends. They didn't experience that fight. Someone else fought for them, and so they came in, and it was easy. And that's what we do as parents. We want it to be easier for our kids. We want it to be easier for them. That we forget 
to remind them just because you have the promise. If you don't hold on to it, if you don't fight for it, you can lose it. And you can look at our marriage and say, oh, I'm going to have that. And we fought for this and we fight for this. And if you don't learn to fight for your faith, you can lose it just like that. I know people that have lived for the Lord for 40-something years and have been losing certain things that were precious to them like that because they stopped fighting for it. Friends, it can happen. The Bible says, be careful when you think you stand, lest you fall. So we're always in a, we are always endangered, friends. So they forgot to teach them. See, Deuteronomy eleven nineteen and 6, 7 says this. Teach them to your children. Teach what? The commandments of God. Teach them to your children. <laughs> Talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk around the, along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. And press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. And teach them and press upon them. These are the commands of the Lord. Make it an everyday thing. When you wake up in the morning, you're praising God and you're telling your kids about when you're going to bed at night. And not just your biological children, but we need to be sharing it with, with baby Christians. These are the things that are important. Because if not, friends, we could have the best war rooms and pray for God to move and attend church every weekend, join small groups, midweek Bible studies. But if we do not teach the next generation about Jesus, we are failing as Christians. Now, I want to add this clarification. It is our job to teach the next generation about Jesus, but it is their job to receive it and walk in it. If you didn't, maybe you weren't saved until after your kids were grown, don't beat yourself up. You can still set an example now. But if you raise your kids in the way they should go and you see them backslide, you see them going out in the world, you claim the promise of God in Proverbs that says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I just heard a statistic that at 18, you know, five kids will walk away from the Lord, but three of the five will come back. That's one that I heard. I know another one says, how much? Uh, eight out of ten will come back to the Lord when they're older. We have to train the next generation and warn them of the idolatry that's attacking America. Cell phones in itself are not bad, friends, but a cell phone can be an idolatry. There's, there's studies that are coming out. These are new. They've only had smartphones since, what, 2008? You know, there's new studies that are coming out that are saying how there's, uh, there's chemicals that are being released from your, your brain that make you addicted, that you're constantly having to scroll and you're constantly having to look. And there's so much. I mean, before, when, when young men would look, or young women too, would look at pornography, you've got to go get a magazine and hide it underneath your bed. Now you just got to get it on your phone. I mean, there's so many things that are attacking us. Now women, before it would be, we would see a magazine and we're, oh, we're not skinny enough, we're not pretty enough, our face ain't clear enough. Now all you got to do is look on on your phone, constantly comparing yourself, constantly getting yourself in a place of, of frustration that we have to be careful. Like I said, in itself, it could be an awesome tool, but we have to warn that this is something. What other idols do we have in America? How about the American dream, the biggest idol since we began? Got to keep up with the Joneses. Got to have the bigger and the better. Our car's not good enough. Our, our house isn't good enough. Our, our, our clothes aren't good enough. Our shoes aren't name brand enough. Like we have to keep up with everybody else. Like I have, we forget to count our own blessings because we're comparing our blessings to somebody else who has more than us. Never satisfied. How about the desire to be famous that we're building our own brand so much that we forget to build the kingdom of God. There's so much idolatry in America. How about the lukewarm church that wants to be so comfortable that they don't have the fire underneath their belt but to share the gospel with people? 
Friends, we live in dangerous times. But God desires to raise up nowadays judges, men and women of God, that will be light for him. People who would have a prophetic voice that would warn people, we live in dangerous times. We cannot sleep. So the cycle to really see our faith increase is we have to realize we live in dangerous times. We are just one generation, one generation away from being extinct every single time. And then that needs to make us evangelize. Oh, but I don't have the gift of evangelism. The Bible says do the work of, the, of an evangelist. Every single one of us have to do the work of an evangelist. Have, who have you encouraged this week? It doesn't mean that you have to go out and pass out tracts. I mean, if God wants you to do that, you don't have to be like me at 20 and sit there at the mall with someone until they say the prayer that they don't really mean. <laughs> Bless my, my heart. <laughs> The Lord knew I meant well. I cried over that girl. I believe she actually eventually said that, that prayer, right? <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> Ooh, I got a good talking to that day. <laughs> Who have you encouraged? Who have you told about the goodness of God? Who have you shared your testimony with? Who have you invited to church lately? There's some people in here that every week they're inviting people to church. I'm trying to keep up with them. I, like I have this like holy competitiveness, if there is such a thing, that like, I, like, oh, you're inviting people like I can't sit, I can't, this is, I can't sit silently by while you're doing all the work. I got to invite people too. Like, who have you been inviting to church? You never know. Just one invitation could be what, what changes somebody's life forever. Who are you inviting to church? Who are you praying for? Who are you praying with? See, the Great Commission, you guys have heard this if you grew up in church at all, is not the great what? Who's heard it? Great Commission is not the great suggestion. <laughs> Jubilee's heard it. It's not the great suggestion. This is what, what, what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 and 20. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. Friends, part of evangelism is teaching people the truth. They go together. They're shared. We have the answer to the world's problems, and it's Jesus. Every problem is found in him. So um, this week at our, our youth ministry, we, we do have a youth service. We meet at our South Toledo campus, um, and uh, it's been growing, and God has been moving. Paige, um, this week was actually just, it was a snow day, if you guys remember, but we had church. And Paige, Pastor Earl's daughter, taught, and she is a, she's a police officer, so she's a little... <laughs> she, uh, I don't even know how to say it any other way. She's just, she's going to get you, you know. Um, but she just became a Toledo police officer. She's adorable, and I just love her to pieces. I've known her since she was seven years old. And um, I love when I hear her preach for multiple reasons. But one of the reasons I love when she preaches because she reminds me of things that I said to her when she was in my kids' ministry and in my youth ministry. And so she's, she's preaching this week, and she tells this story of how when she was in middle school, Apparently, I preach to the middle school kids the way I'm preaching to y'all now, except for even crazier. I guess I told them, listen, y'all, you, it is your job as Christians to share the faith with other people. If you sit at a lunch table with non-Christians and you don't tell them about Jesus, their blood is on your hands. 
So as a parent now of teenagers, uh, Becca and Lindsay and, and Paige they, and Barbara, different people that come around, they say, Joy, you're so soft now compared to how I used to be. I'm sitting there like, oh, my gosh. I'm like just imagining Paige, little Paige, Jubilee's age, just in middle school, and I'm telling her, if you don't tell them, it's going to be your fault. You know, and so, but at the same time, it's true. And the Lord reminded me, that wasn't just me making up some stuff. He reminded me of Ezekiel 3, 16 and 19. Now Paige gets to say it to them, though. So I like it because I can be the good cop. <laughs> and Paige can be the, the cop that says, if you don't tell them. And here it is, Ezekiel 3, 16 and 19. At the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them a warning from me. When I say to a wicked person, you will surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them from their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you do warn the wicked person and they do not turn from their wickedness or from the evil ways, they will die for their sin, but you would have saved yourself. Friends, you may be the only Jesus that somebody sees because Jesus lives in us. And if they're seeing you, they should see Jesus in you. And truly, if we don't speak up, who will? Who will? Friends, we need the fear of the Lord. And when I say the fear of the Lord, I was just explaining this to someone. I mean the awe and reverence of the Lord that, that when God tells us to do something, we feel it like in our bones. The Bible, the prophet said it was fire shot up in my bones that we can't contain it, that we can't hold it in to share the good news, to evangelize, to spread the gospel to other people. Because if we don't have the fear of the Lord, you know what we'll, you will have? The fear the enemy brings on us. Oh, I'm too afraid to speak up. I'm too afraid to speak. I'm too afraid to say something. What if they laugh at me? What if they make fun of me? What if they call me a church kid? What if they call me the Pope? What if they call me a nun? What if they, what if they make fun of me? What if they say she's that Jesus freak? <laughs> what if I don't say it right? What if I mess up? What if somebody calls, huh, calls the church on me because I'm a little too forceful? I mean, listen, we're learning. We're growing. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. And try than for us to sit idly by. If we really believe that without Jesus, there is no hope for anybody, how are we not sharing that with people? It's the great commission, not the great suggestion. Nonetheless, friends, we have got to share the goodness of God with the world we live in. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> God is good. And so we need to realize that for, for this faith not to fall out, for us not to have our faith in, in, instinct in one generation, if, if we, we have to realize there is danger, we have to evangelize. And in our evangelism, we have to pray that they encounter God, the living God. Because if, if man talks them into it, man could talk them out of it. But if, they, if we share, the, it, it's, it's only on us to share. God has to do the work, right? The Bible says one man planted, another man watered, but it was the Lord that gave the increase. Like I can share with other people, just like Ezekiel says, but then it's on them to receive from it. 
my part's easy. It's just sharing. It's God who's going to have to actually do the work in someone's heart, and they have to encounter God. And once they encounter God, though, we need to empower people. Empowerment means to give power and authority to. You know, Jesus empowers us, right? What's the Great Commission? Again, I give all authority, <laughs> all authority to you. So we have to empower people. As parents, when we educate our children and we believe in them, we empower our children to go after their dreams and to fulfill their God-given purpose. That's what we should do as a church, too. And we need to empower new believers to walk out this this faith. And if we don't, friends, if we don't empower others, then they will be stagnant and they will be comfortable and they will be stuck. (laughs) And they won't receive everything that God has for them. See, we empower new believers through discipleship. We teach them to rely on God, teach them that they need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Who even talks about that anymore? Come on. We're ashamed of so much. We need to teach them to use their words for God, for daily encouragement, to get into the Bible, to pray, to seek his face. The difference between a mature believer or someone who's growing and a baby believer is a baby, just like in the physical, needs to be fed. Paul said you still need milk when you should be on solid food. If you begin to feed yourself, you're going to grow and mature in the Lord, and we need that. We, that's empowerment, helping people say, hey, I, I, can, I can walk with you for a time. I've had people get mad at me because I'm there for them when they first, you know, get saved, and then I move on to somebody else, to, not because I don't care about them, but after a certain time, you need to be able to feed yourself. I shouldn't be over here like, Read John 3.16 today. Oh, well, did you did you read your Proverbs, your daily? Oh, let me read it to you. You missed it. I'm wanting for, if I want for you more than you want for yourself, you're going to be stuck as a baby. Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> I got so many scriptures I want to read right now. Oh, my goodness. But, man, I'm, I'm on one, man. I'm having a good old time today. I am going to read this one scripture that I don't even have. Don't worry, Jordan. It's not even on the slides. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 21. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. This is God's word translation. It's totally a, a translation we're not as familiar with. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Don't despise what God has revealed. Instead, Test everything. Hold on to what is good. Empowering people. Friends, we have to encourage them. Man, you remember what God did for you? Don't put out that fire. See, the, uh, most translations say don't quench the Spirit's fire, and we see that, man. We all oh, tame down. I remember when we were young adults, I can't remember what movie it was, but Josh and I wanted to go to a movie, and Josh had this, this vision that he was going to stand up and, and, and like just start preaching the gospel, and he's telling Pastor Keith, and it was like kind of a crazy idea or whatever, and I could see um, later, you know, in Pastor Keith's eyes, he's like, okay, well, be careful with all that, but he didn't say that to him because he didn't want to put out the fire that he had, you remember that? This was, uh, you don't remember, yep. <laughs> That's how old we are. That's how old we are now. I don't remember some of the things. There were so many times, though, that we were fired up about something. And instead of pastor, I, the first time I ever preached, I think I was only 19 years old, I had a man get up drunk, charge at me, interrupt the service. You were there, of course, because you're like the best mom ever. So um, <laughs> mom was always there. He charged at me, right? And, and that could have put out the Spirit's fire. So instead, though, the ushers, Pastor Earl, who's our campus pastor at South Toledo Campus, and George, who's also a pastor in Oregon now, stood up and took that man out 
And pastor, and I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, I'm, I'm like a frail 19-year-old young girl, first time holding a mic in my life, Faith. Can you imagine? <laughs> and Pastor Keith looks at me in the front row and says, keep going. Keep going. So I just kept on preaching. And then after I was done preaching, he came to me afterwards and he said, Joy, you preached better after the, the distraction of the enemy than before he went. And she, he said, this is how you know you're called. Because look at Jesus in the Bible. Every time he would minister, the devil would rise up his ugly head. That shows you that you're anointing. That could have quenched my fire. He could have been like, girl, I don't know about all that. Why don't you just sit down and be quiet next time? He said, no, this proves to you you are called because the devil got mad. Bless that drunk guy's heart. If it wasn't for him, who knows? I might not even been where, be where I'm at today. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't quench the fire. It soaked the fire. And the Bible says, fan the flame. And that's empowerment. When we fan the flame, when we call out gifts in people, like I'm telling you, this, this young adult group that we had um, that came with us to uh, the ramp, Maddie and Maddie, and, and we had like Maddie, Maddie, and Maddie. It was like three of them, and like seriously. And, and Jer Jeremy and, and, and Faith was trying to be with the adult leaders, even though she's technically still a teenager. I mean, like, I was like, look at this, this potential in this group to change the world. Like, I want to call those things out. Like, uh, Jeremy, he gave his first little word. You should have seen him. It was so adorable. I love Jeremy. He, and I, 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 he's, okay, adorable might not be the best way to describe it, but I just loved it. <laughs> he said, I know who I am, and I'm absolutely adorable. That's why I love him. I mean, when he sat down with these teenagers and he said, listen, y'all, I'm in your same generation. I'm the elder of your generation. And Jordan's like, you're old. You're not in our generation. I'm like, oh, my gosh, if he's old, I'm ancient. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> That's what we need, though. We need to empower people to do what they're called to do. Good parents have a job to raise kids, raise children to be mature, responsible, autonomous adults. God is a good father, and God does not desire us to be baby Christians forever, dependent on others for our growth and development. He wants us to grow so that we can pour into others. Moses empowered Joshua. Elijah empowered Elisha. Naomi empowered Ruth. Samuel empowered David. David empowered, uh, uh, David empowered uh, Solomon. Paul empowered Timothy. And it go on and on and on and on of people who empowered other people. Pastor Keith empowered us. We're empowering Pastor Earl. I mean, God is doing this thing. And if we fail to empower other people with the gospel of Christ, we're just one generation away from extinction. Some of you guys have probably heard the quote, empowered women, empower women. Well, friends, empowered Christians empower people. Empowered people empower people. It's what God has called us to do. We need to call out the gifts of God that are in people. And then once we do that, we empower people, and, and they encounter God because we're evangelizing, and we're seeing the danger, and we're speaking out against it. Then finally, as, as we empower people, then we say, okay, it's time for you now to enlist in God's army. So this is the key of keeping the faith burning and the hearts of others. It's, this is where some people miss it. Not only should we empower others, but once we do, we need to enlist them to join the movement. Can you imagine if Moses was afraid to empower Joshua? Who would have taken the people into the land? Because Moses already blew it. And God was like, listen, you're, you're like, you know, you've seen my, you see my backside. And like, you're like, you talk to me face to face, but you hitting that rock. 
bro, you ain't going into the promised land. Like, but he didn't leave the people as orphans, right? He empowered Joshua. And Joshua took them into the land. But his generation died out. And there was a people who was alive who neither knew God or knew any of the things that he had done. And that's where we saw that sin cycle begin. They sinned. They suffered, and in their suffering, they cried out to God in sorrow, and then God saved them by raising up judges again, and it went on and on and on, and we have to be careful, friends, because if we do not enlist people to join the movement, then we are going to miss it. The moment you enlist in God's army, though, we have to tell them this, there will be a target on your back. Oh, we, we live in that easy believism um, culture that, oh, come get saved, and don't worry, you can serve Jesus and still be in your sin, and you'll be okay, just add him to everything else that you're doing. I mean, that's, I mean, we don't necessarily say it like that anymore, but church has become more of, in many places in America, have become more of a motivational speaking of how you can live your best life instead of saying, you need to die to yourself, pick up your cross, and follow him. Amen. I love y'all. I love you enough to share the truth because the moment you enlist in God's army, you have a target on your back. Second Timothy says it like this in 2.10. Remember, Timothy was Paul's true spiritual son, someone that Paul empowered, and, and Timothy empowered his church, and he said this. So I am willing to endure, Paul says this to Timothy, I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those who God has chosen. I mean, what kind of love? He's like, I'm willing to endure prison, shipwrecks, beatings, stonings, my own people turning against me, if it would be salvation. But we're like, man, I'm willing to endure a little bit of uncomfortability in church, maybe, but we just got to have everything just perfect all the time because my life is so comfortable. <laughs> I'm, come on, friends. I, I think every American Christian needs to go on a mission field at least one time in their life, not because necessarily they need us over there, but because we need to realize how other people live. And, and, and then maybe we will realize, maybe it will spark us to be a little, I'm telling you, when I went to um, the mission trip to Jamaica here most recently, it wasn't, I didn't come back thinking, oh, I did so much for the Jamaican church. No, they did so much for me. They made me realize that they, they though they don't have anything, they're some of the most joyful people in the world. And who am I to be depressed living in, and where I'm living when, when, these, when people like this are, are, are living in worse conditions and yet they have more joy of the Lord? And so we need to enlist people, but we need, to, we need to warn them as we enlist them. This is what happens, though. So often we become, too many church people become like King Saul. Instead of Moses pouring into Joshua, we become like King Saul. And King Saul, instead of spending his energy pouring into David, he became jealous of David's potential. And so he tried to quench the spirit of God in David. First Samuel says it like this in 18, 8 and 10. It says that this made Saul, the first king, very angry. What is this, he said? They credit David with 10,000 and me with only thousands? Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The very next day, a tormenting spirit from God, a tormenting spirit from the devil, a tormenting spirit from God, mm, that'll mess up your theology, overwhelmed Saul. And he began to rave in his house like a madman. And David 
was called in playing the harp as he did each day. But Saul had a spear in his hand. And the scripture goes on and it says that he actually tried to spear. He tried to kill David with a spear because he was jealous. Man, I'm telling you, it's that jealousy, they call it a green eye monster for a reason. That demon is so strong in our culture today because we have so much. I mean, before you could only compare yourself to your neighbors, right? Now you can compare yourself to everybody and the whole, I got 2,000 plus friends on Facebook I could compare myself to. That's a lot. Some are doing worse, some are doing okay, and some are doing a lot better. You know what I'm saying? And so we, I got I to gotta step away from that and say, man, I can only compare myself to what I used to be, not, not whoever's, you know, going on this vacation or whoever's living their best life over here or whoever's church is experiencing revival or whoever, you know, marriage is going on their fifth honeymoon this year or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's always something. Instead, friends, I don't want to be like Saul. I don't want to be jealous of other people. I want to see and say, faith is going to preach better than me one day. Watch. When Paige gets up there, I'm like, I had a part in that. A small part, but a part in that. And listen to her now. I want to see my children go farther than me. I want my ceiling to be their floor, but they've got to choose it. But I want to see them choose it. I want to call out the best in them to be all that God has called them to be in God's army. (laughs) Mommy's funny. All right, friends, let's not be like Saul and get jealous of other people that God chooses to anoint and bless. Instead, let's choose to lift them up and enlist them. I mean, David was a part of Saul's army. Doing, doing the work for Saul, and yet Saul was so frustrated. I'm telling you, God is, like, doing some stuff at the South Toledo campus right now. People are getting saved every week. Um, every month there's baptisms. And, and the devil tried to, like, say, oh, look at how great Earl and Renee are doing without you. They don't, they don't need you anymore. And I had to rebuke that devil out loud like, devil, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I want to see Earl and Renee do even better and greater work, even at our most prime, uh, at the best that we had it at South Toledo campus. I want to see them do greater. And I'm not going to sit back and say, oh, man, they're getting people more people baptized than we are. No, devil. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. That is a lie from the enemy. There's, I've heard young people say that they felt called to preach, but they went to their pastor, and he didn't want to share one week with them. We got such insecure leaders. Oh, they can't share one week out the year with somebody. I want all of you to preach better than me. I want you guys to disciple more. I want you to love more. That is what we should love, and that's what we should want. But, I, but best believe the enemy will come and try to make you jealous. And you're going out loud. I mean, out loud. It's like, and then I called her on Renee, like, Renee, this is what the devil said to me. Confess, embarrass sin so sin don't embarrass you. Say that again. I'll say that again. When my husband was a young adult and uh, got on fire for God and he got deliverant, delivered from sexual sin and masturbation he came up at a revival service we were engaged at the time I was so embarrassed I'm always in the front but that week I was in the back and he came up and he said I just want to say right now that God is good and he has set me free from masturbation (laughs) of all the old ladies in the church and everything (laughs) y'all 
He said, if I don't embarrass sin, sin will embarrass me. How many years later has, thank you, Jesus, glory to God, to his glory, has never struggled with that again. Thank you, Jesus, glory to God, by your grace. Because he embarrassed sin. But we're so, we're, we're so, we try to hide it. Oh, no, listen, I'm not perfect. I've messed up. I've yelled at my kids' friends. I've yelled at Shua's girlfriend in my house, playing a stupid board game. Like, I have a temper still that I have to crucify. Like, I, I sin. I mess up. But I'm not going to sit there and pretend to be perfect and then allow jealousy to come in when I see God's blessing on someone else who's just real. No. No. If we want to enlist people into God's army, they got to see real people who depend on God to do the real work of the gospel. Friends, we need you. We need every single one of you. We need every single teenager in this place to get on fire for God because your generation is dying without Jesus. We need every single young adult to say, you know what, it's my time to be a leader in the church and not wait for somebody else. I want to see Jeremy preach more, Maddie preach more. I want to see you guys do what God has called you to do because there's a generation that's just under you or like just a couple grades under you. (laughs) You're the elder of this generation. And I mean that in love, and we need you because you can reach them better than I can. I'm mom now. You're so cool. Enjoy it while you got it. It don't last long. (laughs) It don't last long. (laughs) I said the same thing. I'm never going to lose it. And I still am cool in my own lane, but not in their lane. I get up and try to preach at TCS, and I say tic-tac instead of tic talk right wait I messed it up again look at his face tick-tock but I called it tic-tac like the kind you eat like when your breath stinks yeah we messed it all up <laughs> all right guys seriously I want to wrap this up this is the thing the people of Israel the generation underneath Joshua they missed it but they didn't miss it just because of them they missed it because the torch was never passed They missed it because a generation before them was so busy with war and so busy walking in the promise that they forgot to bring along the younger ones with them and tell them of the story. They kept it among themselves. So, you know, children should be seen and not heard type generation. Instead of saying, listen, you know what happened today? I fought a giant. But they didn't even share that. They didn't even share that. And so the generation grew up who neither knew God or the things that he did. Let that not be said of our generation today. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? Thank you, Jesus. You are so good, and you are so worthy. And I preach longer than I've ever preached in this service, in this place today. But I love you guys. (laughs) Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus, for how good you are. You are so good. You are so good. When I was praying um, yesterday about this, I felt like the Lord wanted me to do a different kind of altar call today, and I do want to do one, but I, I felt like the Lord said, this altar call is for those who want to enlist, those whose eyes want to be open and want to see what can I do to make a difference in my generation. So if that's you today, and you know you want to enlist in God's army, that you want to be used by God so that our faith would not die out in one generation, would you raise your hand before the Lord today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask you, I want to anoint each one of you with oil. Would you come up 
right here, if you can, squeeze in between these two pillars, but we can go over here too, it doesn't matter. Because I want to anoint each one of you with oil. I want to pray for each one of you that whatever your gift is, listen, if you want to start something in this church, you want to start a prayer night, you want to start whatever, let's do it. Let's go. Let's run. We're giving you permission right now to do whatever the Lord puts on your heart to do.